You know, we didn't even get to really finish the book of Job um, because, well, I I taught the chapter last week and we're like, you know, almost seven chapters away, six, five chapters away from the end there. But if you don't know what happened to Job, you need to read the last chapter. It is an amazing one. Basically, what happened there is God restored all that the locusts had eaten away. Remember, we'd been watching this man's life just be beat up persecuted, put down, everything stolen from him, everything ripped from him, everything in his life taken. And the man still chose to serve God. And at the end of his life, gosh, is anybody there? Can I just read some of the last part there? Mark, please. Yeah, just turn that page for me. Hmm. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Oh, he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in the house and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Wow! He blessed him more than the first half of his life. Isn't that crazy? And he had, guess how many sheep? 14,000. 6,000 camels. That's a lot of camels. What do you do with 6,000 camels? What do you do with five camels at your house? Can you imagine that? Like in your backyard, they're just kicking it back there. It's like, hey, Johnny, what's that in the back? Camels. Camels. I mean, what do you do with 6,000? 14,000 sheep? I can't even imagine. I was just at a huge concert last night, and I won't say what, but there was about 15,000 people there, and I can't imagine having this many sheep in a stadium. I mean, there were more than I could even imagine. Sheep everywhere coming out your ears, but God bless them. A thousand yoke of oxen, a thousand female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Praise God. And he called the, the name of the first daughter, and he names the rest of them. And, uh, and it says, And Job died an old man full of his days. Full of days. Isn't that amazing? You may think, you may think as tragedy is falling in your life or things are being stripped away from you that, hey, Things are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse in life. Maybe. And maybe you think the bottom has fallen out so bad in your life that how could God possibly turn everything around and make it good? How? Impossible. Compare yourself to Job. I saw a guy this weekend speak. I was blown away by him. The guy has no arms and no legs. And I saw his... uh, I've seen his testimony before. He has no arms and no legs. Listen. The guy types 40 words a minute. He's a self-made millionaire. The guy has spoken all around the world in like 32 different countries. He's led over 140,000 people to Jesus Christ. He uh, He's spoken to, oh, I think it's 3 million people. He's only 24, 25 years old. He has no arms and no legs. When he gets on an airplane, you know what he does? He asks the stewardess if he can get on the microphone. What is she going to tell him? No. 
He has no arms, no legs, man. He just gets his way everywhere he goes, and he takes advantage of it. He really does. This guy's a powerful speaker. His voice is so dynamic. I mean, I heard the authority as soon as he opened his mouth. There's some people, two people could say the exact same thing. For some reason, the people hear, and for some reason, the people don't. Two people say the exact same thing. One has authority, one doesn't. It's amazing. It's the anointing of God. This guy, when he opens his mouth, it's like power just pours forth. I was like, when he gets on this little microphone, because he doesn't have any arms, the stewardess holds it there. He preaches the gospel to the people on the plane. (laughs) He's preached to thousands, if not millions, Muslims. Because again, what are they going to do? Arrest him? They're going to beat him up? What are they going to do? He stands in front of these thousands and preaches the gospel to these and they come to know Jesus. And the leaders can do nothing because what they, everybody, everybody in the world, nobody, it's like if anybody lays a hand on him, it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what race you are, it's like you're going to defend this guy because you feel sorry for him because he has no arms and legs. He's taking advantage of everyone. I just love it. Power. Let everything be taken away from you. And you're like, he tried to drown himself in his own bathtub. He thought about jumping off the kitchen counter to try to commit suicide because he was so depressed. He gave his life to Christ when he was 15, and in 10 years, in 10 years, he has literally flipped the world. And he has continued. He's going to be on Oprah. It doesn't get any bigger than that, let's just be honest. That's the most watched television show in the world. And he's going to be on there, and he's going to preach the gospel, and it's going to go off. And what I'm saying to you is this. We can learn from Job. We can learn from a guy like that who maybe you say, I got nothing, man. No, you got a whole lot. The truth is you're lazy. You're not disciplined. You don't want to do the things of God. Just be honest with yourself and then change. Maybe you need help changing. Get the people around you to hold you accountable. Say, you, can you help me with this? Can you, can you ride my back about this? God wants to help you. God wants to change you. So as we close the book of Job, looking at a man in distress, being set free, and a champion of all at the end of the day. Oh man, I can't wait to meet Job in heaven. I'm going to walk up to him. Give me some skin. Mm. Can you slap it up a little and then say, Job, you're the man. You say, no. God's the man. Jesus, he is the man. He is the one who sustained me through this all and helped me. It's like, it's true. Let's go bow before him together. And we will. It'll be a grand time. Now we get to look into the book of Psalms and we are going to have a brother come and share with us tonight. I'm kind of excited. You know, family, I teach sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times a week, and it is a blessing to be able to relax and take in the Word. Yeah, you better believe it. And every time I hear this guy speak, I love it. He's powerful. God's given him authority and just a way, breaking down the Scriptures to help us to understand. And we get to look in the book of Psalms, guess what, for the next five months. It's going to be grand. Yeah, I'm fired up, Mark. I really am. Psalms is my favorite book. Because this is why. When you read the book, you see yourself in there all the time. All the time. It is a mirror of you and me. Picture. And you can be set free in this book. Day after day after day. If you get, man, if you struggle with depression or getting down, read the book of Psalms. If you're having a hard time with something, just read the book of Psalms. You're going to be blessed. I've been in the book of Psalms since I came back from Israel. 
it's been like over a year and something. I just have been reading just a couple scriptures at a time, and I just keep moving through it. I'm only like at 63. And so I'm really looking forward. We're going to move through it rapidly, but I'm going to just stay in there and enjoy my time. But uh, Steve, why don't you come up? And uh, I want to pray for him as he brings the word. Yeah, Steve Kumar. Real blessing to the uh, people here. I'm looking forward to it. And so um, let's ask Father to minister to our hearts tonight, huh? Let's ask to walk away changed and blessed forever. Amen? Father, I'm so happy for all that you're doing in our lives. And Lord... uh, we're about to crack open this book. This book is Psalms. Man, so many songs to you. It is your heart. It is you, a picture of you time and time and time again. All these songs written to you, Father. And all these songs written about times of distress and just pulling through and having victory. And I'm so happy that this worship book has been given to us, that this hymnal has been handed to us. And Lord, as we just start to look into this book, I ask that you would be glorified, you would be lifted up. And we ask for your spirit to fall afresh on us and on Steve as he brings the word. Give him that power in his mouth. Authority would come forth and we would walk away encouraged. We would walk away full of your word. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You're Steve. Well, thank you again for being here tonight. It's great to be here. Um, Because of schedules, sometimes I haven't gotten a chance to be here as often as I'd like to be, but thank you for coming out on a Tuesday night and to hear uh, uh, God's Word. And as Josh was saying, uh, we are beginning the book of Psalms tonight, and it's going to be an exciting journey. I was just thinking the other day, uh, Psalms has the largest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, it has over 170 verses, so if Psalm 119 falls on a Tuesday night, um, sometime in the future, um, have fun. Uh, You guys will probably need to bring your sleeping bags. (laughs) Tonight we're going to go through two Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. So if you haven't turned there, if you would please do so. The title of my message tonight is... A prescription for success. A prescription for success. What we're going to do is uh, I'm going to read the first, there are only six verses in Psalm 1. And what I'd like to say is you may not remember a lot of what is said tonight. However, if you're able to jot down some of the points that we go through and some of the scripture references, those will minister to your heart later. And uh, I hope you remember those above all else. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, 
but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Lord, now we come before you with open hearts and open minds. And Father, we pray now that as you have done before, you will speak to us through your word and that we might learn things that we can take away from this passage of scripture and apply to our lives. We ask you to bless this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the late 1980s, there was a song that was made popular by the artist uh, Bobby McFerrin. Uh, maybe you've heard it before. It's called uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Kind of a cheesy song. You don't really hear it that much these days. It's kind of confined to certain places like uh, elevators or other kinds of uh, you know weird places. However, the general theme is be happy. Well, that's not really something that people are ready to be these days. Do you agree? Happiness is in short supply. If you don't believe me, go to your local gas station um, hap- or to your airport um, and, and wait in line. Happiness is in short supply today. We have a lot of things going on. Our economy is in bad shape. Um, banks are closing. Gas prices are through the roof. And people are very stressed out. Happiness is the last thing on their mind. Happiness, at least the way the world defines it. You see, happiness, by the world's definition, is usually a happiness based on circumstances. If things are going well, people are happy. If things are going bad, they're not. Some people's happiness is based on the stock market. You know people like this? When the Dow is going good, they're up. When the Dow is down, they're in the dumps. That would be an unstable person, to say the least. Um, but the Christian life is different. It's not a happiness. The happiness that God offers is not a happiness based on circumstances. It's a happiness based on a relationship with God. And that's what, dif- that's what differentiates the happiness that we're talking about. When you see the word blessed in the Bible, many times you can equate that with the word happy. And in our passage tonight, the word blessed, that is exactly what it means. As an overview of this, of this psalm, the first three verses, I just want to mention a few things. Verse 1 through 3 are going to tell us how we can be a happy person, God's way. Verse 1 tells us what to avoid. And after we know what we need to avoid, then verse 2 tells us what we need to do to be these kind of happy people. And then we know what to avoid, and then we know what to do. Verse 3 then tells us what we can expect. So let's go ahead and read again Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. And let's see what we need to, what the psalmist says we should avoid. Blessed or happy is the man, which could just as easily be a woman. It's gender neutral. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of the scornful. There are three actions mentioned in this first verse, right? Walking, standing, and sitting. The first action is, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel 
of the ungodly. What does that mean? Walking could, could be translated a way of life, way of living. So don't live in the way of the ungodly. The counsel of the ungodly is the advice that the ungodly give. There's a lot of bad advice out there, bad advice that the world has to offer. And you know these slogans well. You've heard them. Slogans like, if it feels good, do it. You are the master of your own destiny. It's a me-first attitude. It's your body. You can do what you want to do. Or this is one of uh, the favorite ones of those who are pluralistic. All roads lead to God. Bad advice. That's what the world says, and people buy it. The psalmist says, beware. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The other thing it says is don't stand in the path of sinners. Standing in the path of sinners, that implies location. You know, location is very important. There are plenty of wrong paths in this world that a person can take. Yes, even a Christian, if they're not careful. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. We need to be very careful that we don't put ourselves in tempting situations. Sometimes those situations are not black and white. They don't, they're not coming like in strobe light saying, this is a bad situation. Don't put yourself in that situation. Sometimes we need the Spirit of God to uh, help us to scrutinize things and not put ourselves in situations that would cause us to stumble. You know, there is a balance between, between being in the world versus being of the world. And so we need to be, the Lord needs to help us strike that balance. And if we do that, we will be happy people because there's a path that leads to destruction. Proverbs 14:12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And then the third thing we see here is, the psalmist says, happy is a man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. This implies posture. You know, think of a person who's sitting. What does it mean to be a scornful person? It means like looking down on somebody with disgust or with disrespect. This holier-than-thou attitude, it's very, very easy to adopt that. Yes, even Christians can adopt this if we're not careful. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, please help us not to have that kind of attitude towards anyone. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about how the, the rulers of Rome and, and they like to lord it over the people that they conquer, just kind of you know, put them in their place. And Jesus told his disciples, it should not be so among you. We, not, we must not have a holier-than-thou attitude. God help us not to be that way. So now we know what we need to avoid. Let's go to verse 2. It tells us what we need to do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Delight. It's always an exciting thing to see a person who has delight on their face. Sometimes you see this with grandparents when they're with their grandchildren. You'll see the grandchildren jump into the arms of the grandparent and you'll see that, that, uh, the face of the grandparent. Or sometimes when you see couples that are in love, um, you'll see that person when they're talking about the, uh, the person they're in love with, their face will light up, um, they'll break into this big smile, uh, their eyes will twinkle, their eyes will sparkle. 
well, that would be the ladies. Um, <laughs> guys, we don't do the sparkling thing. But, um, but the face lights up. There's that delight. You know what I'm talking about? And God wants us to have that delight when it comes to him. Um, it's that attitude, that consuming nature that says, I just want God, I just want more of him. And it just fills you. And your light shines as a result. You know, there is actually a relationship between delighting ourselves in God and seeing God work in the areas of our life, those things that we actually are looking forward to. See, God gives us, each of us, desires, right? God-given desires. The desire to get married, the desire to have a family, the desire to be successful in your career, the desire to have a ministry. These are all God-given desires, and God knows that. But he asks us not to be so consumed by that and worried about it and stressed out about that. He asks us to delight ourselves in him, and then he's going to take care of all that. The proof is that he says that. Psalm 37.4. Psalm 37.4 tells us, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What things? Everything you need. Everything you desire. Everything that God knows that you need. Seek first his kingdom, and he'll make sure that all those things are added unto you in his timing. Which gets us to the, to the topic of timing. Sometimes we're like... God, I want it now. I don't want to wait. I'm tired of waiting. I've been waiting a long time. You may be here tonight, and some of the things that you've put before the Lord, you've been waiting a long time for, and you're, you're getting burned out. You're getting really tired. It's sort of like watching a DVD, you know? They're like ten scenes. It's, your life is like a DVD. They're like ten scenes, and you feel like you're stuck on scene two. Like God has placed the pause button on your life. If you have a pulse tonight, which you all do, God has not put the pause button, not pushed the pause button. He has not even pushed the stop button. You may be on the slow motion button. You may feel like super slow motion button. But God is at work. Philippians 1.6 says, that God will, God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is always at work behind the scenes even when you feel like he is not. So be patient. Be faithful. God is at work in your life. Delight yourself in the, in the law of the Lord, the Bible, his word. And this is what it says. And in his law he meditates day and night. This is a very common topic in today's world. Meditation. I am mm, meditating. Some people are into levitation also and yoga and all these new age kinds of uh, things. Is that what meditation is? No. Meditation is pondering. It's thinking deeply about something and talking to yourself. And that's what God wants you to do, wants you and me to do when it comes to his word. Think about it. Let it soak into your pores. And this refers to the area of your mind. 
The mind is the battlefield. I'm sure you know this. By way of hands, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the last week have felt a temptation to think a negative thought, think of an impure thought, be worried, stressed out, worried? Yeah, all of it. I'm sure everybody's hand goes up. Okay. Which is proof that your mind is under attack. Because none of those thoughts, thoughts of discouragement, thoughts of fear, worry, none of that comes from the Lord. That comes from the enemy. And that is why God places a very high importance about what occupies our minds. So what kind of a mind do we have? What encouragement can we take? Have you been beat up in your mind lately? I want to mention a few points that the Lord brought to my mind. Um, And... um, I hope this will be an encouragement to you. What kind of mind has God given to us? What is the Christian mind defined by? Here we go. Number one, God has given to us a sound mind. A sound mind. That's a mind that is calm, cool, and collected. That means when a stressful situation comes, you take a step back and you say, okay, I know I'm going to take a look at what God's word says. And I'm going to apply the principles of God's word to the situation. I'm not going to get bent out of shape. I'm not going to lose my temper or lose my cool. I'm going to have a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Exactly. You know, there was a story in the New Testament where Jesus went out of his way to heal a man who was out of control. Yeah, his mind was really out of control. To say he was a wild man is putting it mildly. In Luke chapter 8, we read about a man who was demon-possessed in the place called Gadara. If you go to Israel today, which I had the privilege of doing a couple months ago, you will see a place on the Sea of Galilee known as Gadara. And this is the place where this demon-possessed man was. And he was out of control. He was naked. He would live in the tombs. They tried to shackle him, and he would break out of the shackles. And Jesus Christ healed this man. In fact, he commanded the demons to go into a herd of swine, and 2,000 of them jumped over the cliff. Imagine if there was a demon, one demon for every pig. That guy had at least 2,000 demons in him. You can imagine why he was out of control. And it says that Jesus healed him. And then it says a very telling statement in Luke 8.35. When the man was healed, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And the people were terrified when they saw that. That's what God does when he heals the mind. A mind that's out of control can be brought under his control. A sound mind. Number two, he has given to us a renewed mind. That means a regenerated mind, a transformed mind. Yes, a new mind. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, too, to beware and not be conformed to this world. And what we mean by the world is this, the system, not the globe, a system of thinking. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, is another way it could be translated but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you want to know the will of God for your life? I'm sure everybody in here wants to. We need a renewed mind, and the only way we get that renewed mind is by studying his word and letting it uh, penetrate our hearts. So God has given to us a renewed mind. The third thing is he's given us the mind of Christ. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. And then it describes what that mind was. And what that mind was, was a mind of humility, obedience. He humbled himself to the death, even the death of the cross. God wants our minds to be full of humility and obedience. So pride doesn't have a place in our mind. The fourth thing is, God has given to us a heavenly mind, and he wants us to pursue that heavenly mindedness. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. When you're heavenly minded, then things on the earth will naturally fall into their proper perspective. Things that are overwhelming won't be so overwhelming because you realize that God is bigger than any circumstance you could ever have. The man born without any arms and legs knows this well, Brother Nick Vujicic. He sees his God for who he really is, much bigger than any circumstance, the circumstances in life that he has been dealt. And so set your mind on things above. And then the fifth thing that God has given to us is a surrendered mind. And God wants us to have a surrendered mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, I was talking to a, a young man the other day, and he was telling me how he was having such a difficulty keeping a pure mind. His mind was always gravitating towards lustful thoughts. He could not even look at a woman with purity anymore. And he expressed how he was uh, just struggling so much with this. And then, and he's a Christian, and, 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 and he was talking about this, and then he said the devil would just hit him up afterwards when he tried to read his Bible. And that's the way the enemy works. After you've committed a sin, and you've disobeyed God, and you've done something you know you shouldn't do, Satan says, oh, come on. You think you're going to now try and pretend to be a Christian? You know who you are. You're a poser. That's the way the enemy works. He really tries to beat you over the head and make you feel like you're nothing and that you can't approach the throne of grace. God can give victory in the mind. And um, the reason we know that is the Word of God is a cleansing agent. You know, when, you've, when your mind has been dirtied by the world, you actually do feel dirty. The Bible is the best cleansing agent anyone could ever imagine. It's better than bleach. The Bible says in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to your word. That's how we get a clean mind. And as we meditate on God's words day by day, the mind will be cleaned. As many of you know, as most of you know, I serve the Lord in the medical field. And I mention this to tell you that having a pure mind is not just a male problem. Women struggle with it as well. I once took care of a young lady 
who I had to treat for a sexually transmitted disease. And she, when she walked in the room she, could, room, she could hardly sit in the chair. She was in so much pain, physical pain, because of the disease she had contracted that we were treating her for. And she began to describe her life, and she told me that she had gone actually a long time being a virgin. So I said, what happened? Well, she said she started perusing on the Internet. She started meeting a lot of guys. And then she told me in her own words, I quote-unquote, I, I couldn't take it anymore. Her mind had got so polluted, and then she went on a sexual rampage. A year had not even been completed, and she'd already been with ten partners. Satan was just ripping this woman off. And it started in the mind. And that's why, brothers and sisters, it's very important that we guard our minds. And how do we do that? Well, Philippians 4.8 tells us what we can do, what things we should think about. It says, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there's anything virtuous and anything praiseworthy, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, that's nice, Steve, but how do you do that practically? I'm all about keeping it real. So let me give you a little tip. This is where the rubber meets the road. If you've been tempted to think a negative thought or uh, a stressful thought or you get anxious, there's a tool that you can have in your arsenal. Some of you know what I'm going to do. It's the index card. The index card is something that you can write down a scripture verse and keep it in your shirt pocket or your pant pocket. And when you are tempted, and it's not if you are tempted, it's when you are tempted, you take this out and you quote it to the Lord and said, Lord, this is what you have said. You have, given, you have not given me a spirit of fear, but you have given me um, a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. You just verbalize that to the Lord and you have it on a card, so it's not just in the realm of theory. It's actually practical. So that's actually a way to put it into practice. You can, it can be, you know, index card. It can be anything, but most people can't put their Bibles in their shirt pocket. So that's why a thing like uh, an index card can sometimes be helpful. Meditation on God's word. Let's go on. Uh, verse three: He shall be. This is what you can expect now. After meditating on God's word, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He shall be like a tree. Notice it didn't say he'll be a twig or he'll be a dandelion or he'll be a fern. Those are all weak things. It says he'll be a tree. A tree implies stability, firmness. Your, root, your roots sink deep. Because when you're um, you know, meditating on God's word, you become anchored in that. You'll become like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And what are those rivers of water? That's the nourishment that you get from the Bible. 
the nourishment, the hydration. We all know that if plants don't get water, particularly in an Inland Empire summer, it's going to die real quick. But with the proper nourishment, that plant can blossom. And that's the way our lives are as well. When we're watered by the Word of God, like we are here every Tuesday, but not just on Tuesdays, but every day in our personal devotions, we become like a tree. And that's what God wants. Be like a tree so that you will uh, bring forth fruit in its season. The Bible talks a lot about fruit. And why does it do that? Because fruit is the hallmark of the believer. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Fruit bearing is definitely God's plan for you and me. God's plan not only is, uh, is for us to just walk forward, he wants us to go forward in our spiritual lives. Jesus said in John 15:16, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. The Bible talks about fruit of the Spirit. And I like the fact that it says fruit of the Spirit. Because if you look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you see it listed there. And that's actually like a good mirror verse. You know, you hold your life up to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and you, and, and you read it and it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. So you say, how am I doing? <laughs> and you read that. It's a good litmus test. It's a good way to uh, measure ourselves where we are spiritually. It says fruit of the Spirit because in and of ourselves, you and I know we can't do any of those things, right? It's very hard to love somebody who doesn't love you and especially makes your life difficult. Or um, being joyful when um, you have some tough things on your plate or being long-suffering, or being kind. Being kind to somebody who talks smack to your face or treats you spitefully, these are things we cannot do in and of ourselves. And maybe tonight you're thinking of a situation that you have been um, experiencing, and you're like, man, I just don't have the energy to love this person. That's why... God gives us his spirit because you can't do it in your own strength. We cannot do it in our own strength. And whatever he does shall prosper. Meditation on God's word leads to success. It leads to prosperity. This is not a prosperity gospel I'm talking about. I'm talking about having success in whatever you do. And this success can even happen in scary situations. What am I talking about? In the Old Testament, there was kind of a scary situation. Moses died. Moses, the great leader of the Israelites, he died. God took him to the top of Mount Nebo in Jordan, and he showed him the promised land. And then after he showed him the promised land, God buried him on the mountain. And then Moses, there was, a, there was that vacancy And those are pretty big shoes to fill. And I can imagine Joshua, the young leader, would have been naturally afraid, right? I mean, Moses has been leading these people, and now, and they're not the easiest people to lead, by the way. They're a bunch of whiners. 
They go off and they do weird things when you're up on the mountain. Um, they're not the easiest people. You know, Moses was a case in learning how to deal with people, difficult people. And we all know that this world, it's you come around, around people that are difficult to deal with, right? And sometimes we can be difficult to deal with if we're not um, under the Spirit's leading. But Joshua, with faced with all of this, he must have been terrified. So God spoke to him, and God gave him some comforting words. And I want to show you those comforting words. Keeping your finger in Psalm chapter 1, just flip back to Joshua chapter 1. Because you're going to see the correlation between what the psalmist was saying and what God is now going to say to young Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, this is God speaking to Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Exactly what the psalmist was saying. You meditate on God's word day and night, you will have success. I want to give you a personal example of this. I was faced with a eh, more or less daunting situation some years ago. When I was in med school years back, um, I had to go on a rotation where I had to learn you know, obstetrics and gynecology, learn how to deliver a baby, and uh, learn how to take care of women during pregnancy. And so the students, we would be in a room, and there was a doctor who came in. And he would give us our hands-on training, and then he would give us the lecture, and he would have each of us give a presentation. And the presentation was like the end thing. That was what your grade was determined on. And he was an intimidating doctor. We would all be sitting around a table, and he'd sit at the, at the, at the seat of the table, you know, kind of like this with his arms folded. And at the, each person had to give an, a presentation uh, during that rotation. And he was kind of a nasty guy. I mean, he would rip people up. He'd hear the presentation, and then he'd say, that was the worst presentation I've ever heard. That is, you obviously didn't do any reading for this. That was disgusting. And he would even say that to the ladies and make them cry. Yeah, he was not exactly a nice guy. And he would, it would be very, uh, you know, terrifying. And so... I knew my time was coming up for my presentation, and um, I basically said, okay, Lord, um, I'm going to take you at your word. You have said that if we meditate on your word, that you will make our ways prosperous and you will give us success. So I just committed to the Lord. I said, Lord, whatever you want, I'm ready for. And um, I went to the presentation. And I started giving my presentation, and um, there were other people following me who were ready to give their presentation. So I gave my presentation, and I was done. And then he sits in his chair, and he looks at me, and he kind of had like those um, 
pointed eyebrows too, kind of like Spock on Star Trek. And he he looks at everybody and he's flipping through a copy of my presentation and he looks at everybody and he goes, okay, does anyone have any questions they'd like to ask? And I'm thinking to myself, you, these are my colleagues, you better not have any questions, otherwise we're going to take this outside. You know. Um, Nobody said a word. You could hear a pin drop. And then he looks at me and keeps flipping through the paper, and then he goes, Okay, who's next? I was like, What? What just happened? That's it? That was an amazing display of God's power that day in my life. God shut that man's mouth like a lion in the lion's den. Literally. And the funny thing was it was that later after the fact, long time afterwards, I was talking to people in the room and people were like, you know, so I was like, so what was up with that? How come he didn't ask me any questions? And they all, most, a lot of them said, oh, he asked you a lot of questions, didn't he? Yeah, didn't, wasn't he asking you all these questions and you were like fumbling and you, I was like, what? It was almost, as God is my witness, almost as if they were all hypnotized. Like, they weren't there. God showed me His power that day. And He showed that He is a God who keeps His promise. God will make your way prosperous. No weapon formed against you will prosper, the Scripture says. Take that to heart. God's promises are not wishful thinking. They are guarantees. Okay, let's go on. Let's go back to uh, Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to pick up the pace here real quick. Um, Verses 4 through 6. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. In verse 4, he talks about the chaff. If you've ever, ever seen chaff, chaff is like the outer portion of like bird seed. It's like husks. They're easily blown by the wind, and that's the way the ungodly are. He is contra- the psalmist is contrasting um, what a happy person is with the way a person who is in the world would be. And they don't have an anchor. If you're like the chaff, you're being blown away like the wind, and, and um, we don't want to be like that. In verse 5, he contrasts the different kinds of judgments. And I just want to make a quick uh, statement about judgment. There is a judgment coming at the end of the age, but it's important to remind ourselves what judgments are being spoken of. There is a judgment that is going to happen at the end of time that is going to be for unbelievers only, people who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ. That is called the Great White Throne Judgment. That's detailed for us in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne judgment where the Lamb's book of life will be opened and anyone's name who's not in it, the unbelievers obviously, will be cast into the lake of fire. If that is not a picture to motivate you and me to spread the gospel, I don't know what would be. We don't want people to show up to that judgment And so, may that motivate us. But for those of us who are believers, who have given our lives to Jesus, that's not the judgment we will face. 
we are going to face what is known as the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the bema seat judgment, B-E-M-A. It's the Greek word. for, um, And that will be only for believers. And that's detailed for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 17. And that talks about where our works that we've done here on the earth are going to be tried by fire. And everything we've done for the right motive and the right, uh, with pure heart and pure motive, is going to have a reward. We don't know what exactly that's going to be, but you will have reward. But anything that was done out of selfish ambition, done for the wrong reasons, it's going to burn up. So those are the two judgments that are contrasted there. So we've talked about how to be a happy person, God's way. Now let's just switch gears for a very short time and say a few words about Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is considered a messianic psalm. And it uh, makes reference to the Father and the Son and some of the things that the Father says to the Son, God the Father to the Son. Let's read Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Verses 1 through 3 were actually quoted by two men in the New Testament. It was quoted by the Apostle Peter and John when the rulers, the chief priests in in, uh, Acts 4, 25 to 28, said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We don't want you to do that, otherwise we're going to lock you up. And as Peter and John were praying for boldness, they actually quoted this passage. This passage, verses 1 through 3, talks about the rebellion of man. It's the reason why Jesus had to come in the first place. It talks about the rebellion, how when Jesus came, his own received him not. They did not receive him. Pilate and all of the, the Romans, they all, they all were like against him, against his anointed. The word in verse um, 2 for his anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach, also known as Messiah, the Christ. In verse 3, it says, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. It's like the world saying, Let us break their bonds. In your Bibles, you should see the word there capitalized. I'm sure it is. It's talking about God's bonds, the bond of love. See, the world views God's arms as restrictive. You've been around people who said, Oh man, I don't want to follow the Bible. It's just a restrictive book. A bunch of don'ts. You know, things I can't do. But when our lives are transformed by the power of the gospel, we realize that the Bible is not a restrictive book. It's the most liberating book in the world. If the Son of Man sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And it's the lie that the enemy has ripped the world off with, that you're going to be in bondage if you come to Christ. No, actually you're going to be liberated to live the life that you were called to live. Um, in verses 4 through 6, we'll go ahead and read that. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. 
you know, this is God's response to man's rejection of him. God is going to come with judgment one day. And right now, that is the reason why we must be going around telling people about Jesus so they will not have to face this. In verse 6 it says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That is Jerusalem. As I was telling you, some of you were there with me, uh, two months ago I was in Israel. And those of you who have been to Jerusalem, you know it's a holy city. And it's a place where the history of the world is going to, well, it's going to end there. In the last days, you know the next great, uh, next great event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And after that, the seven-year tribulation will start. And that will be uh, highlighted by the emergence of the Antichrist, a charismatic leader who's going to somehow be loved by the whole world. And then he is going to broker a peace treaty between Israel and her enemies. And somehow it's going to last. But then this charismatic leader is going to walk into the temple, the temple that's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple. And he's going to walk into that temple and he's going to declare himself as God and demand to be worshipped. And he's going to make a decree that everyone should have the mark of the beast. And anyone who doesn't take the mark, that's going to be it. But thank God... That period is not going to last forever. For at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus Christ will come again. He will come on his holy hill. He will come to Jerusalem. Revelation 1.8 says, When he comes, every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. When people used to read that verse, every eye will see him, 50 years ago, they had no idea what that meant. Today, you and I, can understand what that means. How could every eye in the world see Jesus when he comes back? Today we understand because of the internet, because of satellite television. We know that if an event happens in one area of the world, the whole world can be connected and see that event. And that will happen when Jesus Christ comes back. It's not just going to be a little blurb on the CNN ticker. No, it's going to be breaking news. Jesus Christ will come and he will descend and the Jews will see him. They will finally see him for who he is. It says in Zechariah 12:10, They will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. The Bible says that Jesus will descend onto the Mount of Olives. When you go to Jerusalem today and you look at the gate, the eastern gate, the very gate that Jesus walked through on the donkey on Palm Sunday, in front of that, some distance, is the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus comes, he is going to descend on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14.4 says, excuse me, 14.4 says, when he descends on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. Wow. You go see the Mount of Olives. That's going to be quite a sight. Um, you appreciate that if you've been there. Um, and that's what the scripture says. That's a prophecy. Zechariah 14.4. Verses 7 through 9, and we're going to finish up here. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
You are my son, today I have begotten you. That is the Father, God the Father, speaking to the Son. Do you see the intimacy there? Can you hear the intimacy? That is why when Jesus was walking on this earth amongst us, he often got away just to be alone with the Father. He told his mother, Did you not know I had to be about my Father's business? The Father and the Son were always in close communication. That is why when Jesus was on the cross and the Father had to look away for a minute, oh, it was the moment that Jesus dreaded the most. There was that intimacy between the Father and the Son. You see that here. And that is what the Father wants us to have, that intimacy with Him, Jesus. God wants us to have that intimate relationship. I ask you tonight, how's your relationship with the Lord? Is it intimate like that? Or is it kind of coasting? God help us to have an intimate relationship with our King. Verses 10 through 12. Here we go. Now therefore, be wise, O king, kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. It says, serve the Lord with fear. Some people have an image of God as a God with a bat who has going to strike you down with lightning. If that was the God we served, then why would the scripture say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you? See, that's not reconcilable with what the Bible teaches. God is a God of love. And yes, he is coming with judgment, but he wants us to serve him with fear, with reverence, Serving him, not because, uh, obeying him not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love to worship him. We love to do the things that please him. Kissing the son can also be translated an act of submission or embracing instruction and discipline. You were hearing about that earlier. Discipline. We all need that. Discipline's not easy. That's why it's called discipline. Um, and God wants us to have that. Kiss the son. Be submissive to him. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. We talked in the very beginning, the very first verse in Psalm 1, we talked about blessed. And here we end in Psalm 2 saying, blessed are those who put their trust in him. If you give me one minute, I just want to tell you a quick story. You know, in this world, sometimes we wonder whether we can be used by God. There are many people in this world who are hurting. Many people. Unbelievable number of people. And sometimes we don't even realize the people who are closest, uh, people that we are around are actually hurting. They don't always have that thing plastered to their face saying, I'm hurting. I'm alone. I have insecurities. But if, when God opens our eyes, we see people for who they really are. I used to get frustrated because I used to tell people about Jesus a lot in my workplace, some of my colleagues, and they would say, don't tell me about Jesus. I believe in science, man. Don't tell me about Jesus. Okay. Um, as if, you know, Jesus has nothing to do with science. And other people would say, oh, you know, that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. You know, that sort of thing. 
And I used to tell people, and they say, you know, that's nice, you know, whatever. So I used to get really frustrated, and the enemy used to really hit me up. And I said, will I ever have an opportunity to actually lead somebody to Christ? There was a quotation that was, that there was a statistic that was given that was 90% of people uh, who are believers have never led somebody to Christ. Yeah, I used to always think, that's me. Um, not proud of it, but that was me. One day I came into contact, um, one of my patients, she came to me and she said uh, she was contemplating an abortion. And she said uh, she'd already had an abortion in the past. And she promised herself she would never have an abortion again. And she was crying and she was saying her boyfriend was putting pressure on her to have an abortion. And, and she didn't know what to do. And... Then she started describing her life and she just poured out her life. And she said, I can walk into a room and I could get any guy I wanted. And then she would talk about all these parties she'd been to. She'd lived it up. My goodness, she had lived it up. She actually knew a lot of Hollywood stars. She said, I've been there, done that, smoked the joints, done everything. And she said, let me tell you, it is so empty. And she's saying this with tears. Actually, it wasn't just when I saw her in the clinic. I actually had to, you know, uh, also emergently call her uh, because she wanted to talk to me because she was really getting ready to have the abortion. And she talked about the fact, I took a spiritual history on her, and she said she was a Catholic. She was raised a Catholic, and but she didn't really feel close to God. She talked about many nights when she'd cried herself to sleep. And I said, hmm... Uh, maybe I should say something here. And the Lord gave me the peace. And I said, you know what? You're a Catholic. You, you grew up in the Catholic tradition, right? So you saw Jesus Christ on the crucifix. He said, yeah. I just want to tell you, God loves you. And Jesus Christ died for you. And 2,000 years ago, when he hung on that cross, he was thinking about you. And when I said that, I could hear the emotion pouring out through her. And then as I proceeded to tell her more about him, she said the words I never thought I'd hear, I want this Jesus. I want this Jesus. And that night... She was no longer a lost girl. She gave her life to Christ. It was one of the most incredible things I ever saw. And that night I learned the power of Romans 1.16, where the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And the word power in the Greek is the word dunamas, from where we get the word dynamite. And yeah, there was a lot of dynamite going on that night. And uh, there was a party going on in heaven. I tell you that to encourage you. God can use you. There are a lot of people who just want to hear that there's a God who loves them. And you are that ambassador. You in your workplace, you in your school, where God has put you, that is you. You are the ambassador. I say that to encourage you tonight. God wants to use you. Yes, he's got gifts and talents that he's given to you that maybe you haven't even discovered yet. 
Apply yourself to meditation on God's word like we talked about tonight and let him unleash his power through you so you can rock this world for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you desire to use us and help us to come into a closer relationship with you. We thank you that you change lives. We thank you that you want to do a great work in us. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for dying for us and for rising from the death, dead. Thank you that you are mighty to save. Be with us now, Lord. Be with us as we go out into this world. Help us to spread the good news. Help us to be your ambassadors and shine the light so that the world may see that you are our great and coming king. King. Thank you again for this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Man, powerful psalms and powerful words for each and every one of us. Oh, man. I mean, I was just fired up just looking at the text. I mean, there are such amazing things here. And um, I have a word for the guys, and then I have a word for the girls. Brothers, the picture of the man Job, the book Job, is here in Psalm 1. The man that meditates on the word day and night and is a tree that is planted deep within the ground that cannot be moved. That is the man Job. The man righteous in all his days which cannot be moved. Doesn't matter what the situation, doesn't matter how big. That is the man. And as us guys are always pushing the girls to read Proverbs 31 and to study and to be that woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, men... You need to be the Psalm 1 man. That's you. That's me. The Psalm 1 man, there are those first few verses, 1 through 3, that is what we are called to. And um, maybe you need some motivation to be that Psalm chapter 1 guy. How many girls want a Psalm 1 guy, huh? How many? Well, there you brothers. Get moving. How many girls want a Psalm chapter 1 verse 4 through 6 guy? The ungodly who's blown like chaff doesn't even understand anything of the Word of God. And it's so sad because I see so many women, even in the church, who chase the one who falls away at the wayside. They wonder. They get married. They wonder. But it's so obvious, it's so clear within the scriptures. Open your eyes. There's the description. The man who meditates on the word of God day and night. He does not counsel with the ungodly. No. And he does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But what? He delights in the law of the Lord. And does he meditate day and night? And he shall be like what? A tree planted deep within the ground that cannot be moved. He will be the pillar of that house that helps your family to prosper in the ways of God. 
Men, you're called to that. You need to be that. And girls, I hope that you would be looking for that and that you would settle for nothing less. He's good looking. Who gives a rip? There are many good looking guys in this world. There are many beautiful women. Did you see that in the last scripture of Job? I saw it in verse 15. It said this, And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. There are no women in all of the land as beautiful as Job's daughters. And I wrote next to it, Job, hook it up. (laughs) With a smiley face. With a smiley face. But I guarantee that that fair that he's talking about, yes, it is beauty. But I guarantee greater than that, because Job was a man that what? Feared the Lord above all men, that his children and his daughters knew the ways of the Lord very well. And they were fair fair and beautiful in all the land. Why? Because they fear the living God. That's the woman that will be praised. That is the woman that will be lifted up. Hollywood? That is the woman in the name that will be dragged in the dirt week after week, month after month, year after year, and will chase after beauty and honor and power. But as they get older, it will fade, and drugs will get to them and they'll be depressed. But a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. She will be lifted up. Her husband will exalt her all of her days. And when the beauty fades, he will still be exalting her till the day that he dies because of the beauty which is so rich and deep within. That is what you're seeking after. And I'm telling you that there's something about the beauty within a person that just lights somebody up. I mean, I just look into some people's faces and it's just like, man, woman, <laughs> just beauty, just beams. Give me some of that. And that's the beauty, guys. It doesn't matter how hot she is. I'm telling you the truth. There's plenty of pretty girls out there. It ain't about that. It's about the woman that's going to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. It's a woman that's going to be reading the scriptures and praying for you when you're going through tough times because you're working hard and you can't pay the bills. And ladies, when times are hard in the house, you hope that you have a man that will discipline your kids, take care of the family. They'll be praying for you and encouraging you and teaching you the Word of God. Hello, open your eyes. This is what we are called to. We are called to a godly generation. Meditate on these things. It's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, as Kumar has told us, Steve has told us tonight. And God has given you that power, and I encourage each one of you to abide in it daily. Amen? I'm proud of this group. I believe there are holy people here in this group that love God. And I know you guys want the best for your life. Make right decisions. There's married couples here that will tell you that and testify to you that over and over and over Recognize, open your eyes, let's move forward in power, all right? Love you guys. I want the best for you, Trav. Yeah. I want the best for you guys. Don't miss out on the sweet opportunities, brothers, of being that Psalm 1 guy. God will grant you the desires of your heart. Ladies, unsettle. Don't do it. You'll regret it the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this group. 
Thank you for the word that Steve has brought us tonight and we ask you to hide it in our hearts forever and that we would be a people that seek you and walk close to you, Father. That we would be men that stand for the truth and do not waver on any little issues in our lives. Oh, Father, strengthen us. There are many guys in here that need to be strengthened. They need to write down Scripture on an index card and stick it in their pocket. Oh, please, Father, help us to be strong men in this generation as the enemy wants to rip us and tear us down and destroy the family. But we will stand strong for you. We will be strong and courageous. We will meditate on your word day and night. We will be men that fear the Lord. And Father, I pray for the women, God, that you would put hearts in them and give them sharp minds, God, to discern these guys that just want to rip down and tear down. And do not fear the Lord. Just come in to steal. And I pray that you would give them eyes to see clearly through it all. They would recognize what they need to be working on their lives to raise up a godly generation of children that seek your face and know your heart so that we can change this America, this world, this nation. Oh, Father, so sorry for what's happened, but we choose to repent and to turn to you tonight. And it's only through the blood of Jesus. And we recognize that and are thankful for it. And we accept it. And we choose to walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord be with you. Lord keep you and bless you. May His face shine upon you.